shall he acquire for himself excess silver and gold. The multiplication of silver and gold is much more than simply trusting in economic power for wealth, but rather it's speaking of gratification of one's own desires at the expense of others. Again, let's think about Solomon. We know that Solomon was extremely rich. We also know that God had made Solomon rich and had blessed him. But we need to also keep in mind that beyond the riches that God had given to him, Solomon was never satisfied. Uh, he wasn't satisfied that God had made him wealthy. He wanted to be extremely wealthy. Solomon describes himself this way in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 8. Also I collected for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and princes. I provided for myself male and female singers. You see, in, in each one of these three admonitions <coughs> or restrictions, the word himself comes. The king should not multiply for himself. The king should not acquire for himself. Himself, himself, himself. It's all about himself as opposed to uh, his people. Solomon became extremely wealthy at the expense and heartache of his people. In 1 Kings, when Solomon dies, his son Rehoboam is next in line. And when he assumes power, the people rise up against Rehoboam with these words, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. The people said after Solomon's death, and his son begins to reign, your father was miserable to serve under. Your father made our lives miserable. We had a heavy yoke on us. He became wealthy at our expense. These houses, these vineyards, these things that he acquired for himself were through our labor. And we're not going to put up with it any longer. If you're going to be a king like that, we're not going to serve you. And of course, Rehoboam comes back and says, uh, you think that was tough? I'm going to be even tougher on you. And of course, they rebel. The point is that, that here was a king who got rich at the expense of his people. That's just the background. But moving quickly from that. What is interesting is the remedy to this. What is interesting is the solution because it seems at first glance to be incongruous. What does what I'm about to say have to do with multiplying wives? What does it have to do with getting wealthy? And what does it have to do by relying upon military strength? For notice what it tells us that the king should do. First, he should provide himself with a copy of the scriptures. Verse 18. When he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a copy of this law. We shouldn't lose sight of that simple word, himself. He shall write for himself. For himself, himself, himself has been in each verse. The first three are negative. Acquiring wise for himself. Acquiring military strength for himself acquiring wealth for himself. Instead, he ought to acquire the scripture for himself. And all the gettings get the scripture. The point is, for his personal use and benefit. He should 
of value the scripture. And all is getting, get the word of God. We should value the word of God. It's wonderful when people give the Bible as a gift. And perhaps you have purchased this Christmas season a Bible for someone and gifted them with that Bible. It's not unusual for the church to give out Bibles to children. Having a Bible given to you is wonderful. I don't know if you prize that gift if someone gives you a Bible, but more than that, we should desire a Bible. It shouldn't just be handed to us in the sense that, that we're indifferent and so we're trying to get someone else to read. And I'm not saying every gift is that way. What I'm simply saying is we should want the Bible for ourselves. Uh, we should desire to have our own scriptures. And all the things in the world that we could want, uh, all the gifts that we would have, you know, the, the things that are on our wish list, uh, children write to Santa Claus about, what do you really want in life? Of all the things that a king could want, he's to start with the scriptures. He should provide himself a copy of the word of God. So we should desire the word of God. Secondly, he shall keep a copy of the scriptures with him. And it shall be with him. It shall be with him. Uh, just back to this idea for a moment that he shall provide himself a copy of the, of the law. Uh, as the ESV writes this, in verse 18 it says, he shall write for himself a, a book, a copy of the law. There is a lot of uh, disagreement among commentaries exactly what does that mean. Uh, does that simply mean that he should provide himself with a copy of the scriptures? Or does that mean that he was actually to himself copy the scriptures. That had been quite an arduous task. You don't put it through a photocopier. You would have, you would have done it with, uh, uh, not even with ink and pen <laughs> in those days. You, you would have had to have chiseled out. You would have had to uh, use a stylus uh, with clay or something. That would have been an arduous task. Maybe he was actually to Make the copy himself, that he was to value it, prize it that much. It certainly means at least that he was to commission that a copy be made for him. But secondly, he was to keep the scriptures with him. Uh, they were to be readily accessible because they are to be seen as indispensable. All right? So not only should he have a copy, but he should keep a copy with him. In our day and age, it's really easy to have a copy of the scriptures. Uh, digital copies, hard copies, books, physical copies, uh, audible books. I mean, to have the Bible, most people can have, you know, three, four, five Bibles. Uh, you know, I think I have something like 30 Bibles on my phone of different texts and different, it's amazing what you can do now with having the scriptures with you. But the, the idea is that they are to be indispensable. Um, was a time when, you know, those things weren't available. You had to carry a little Bible on you. Uh, but I hope you carry the scriptures with you. But more than that, let's get to the third one. And it seems so obvious that it seems ridiculous. But it says this, he shall read it. <laughs> Verse 19, and shall be with him, and he shall read it. 
It's one thing to have it. <laughs> it's another thing to carry it. It's quite another to read it. I think in most American homes, people have Bibles. Uh, a lot of times you see them prominently displayed. Sometimes they're by a nightbed. Uh, you know, they have them with them. But the issue is not, do you have a copy? The issue is not, is it close at hand? Is it accessible? The issue is, do you read it? Do you read it? And the king is to read it. Wasn't it enough to own the copy of the scriptures? It was not enough to keep it close by, but he was to read it. And obviously we're to read our Bibles. But notice what it says about reading it. He was to read the Bible daily. For it tells us, in verse 19, he shall read it in all the days of his life. So all the days of his life would include every day of his life. He used to read the Bible every day. Um, true of kings, true of us. It isn't healthy just to read the Bible in spurts. When I talk about reading the Bible through in a year, I am presupposing that you are going to read the Bible every day. And that you are going to read the period of the Bible over a, a period of a year daily. Okay? Now, last year, I read the Bible through in the first 10 days of January. Uh, I wanted to feast on the Word of God. And the first 10 days, I read my Bible through. I didn't close it and put it on the shelf for the rest of the year. Okay? I didn't say, okay, I got my Bible read this year, now I'm done. But rather, you read the Bible every day. It's not just about reading the Bible through, it's about reading the Bible through every day. And, if you are such that you read more that will take you through the Bible older than a year, that's even better. Okay? I know some people read the Bible through multiple times in a year. That's great. So I'm not saying, when I say read the Bible through in a year, that reading the Bible once is all that's required, or try to get it done. You know, if, if you read for four months, and then you fall into a lapse for two months and don't read it, and then you read like crazy to catch up, I'm glad you read like crazy to catch up. I'm glad you read your Bible through in a year. But the best thing is to try to read it on a daily basis. Okay. Read it on a daily basis basis. And reading it on a daily basis, I submit to you that the minimum that we should read for our spiritual health and well-being is three or four chapters a day. That's why I've come up with this aspect of read the Bible through in a year. Okay. Um, in order to stay healthy, we know that uh, the basic diet ought to consist of at least 1,200 calories. You, anything less than 1,200 calories a day is not considered to be a healthy diet. You continually eat less than 1,200 calories, eventually it's going to have an impact on your health. I believe that reading less than three or four chapters of scripture a day, eventually it's going to have a, an impact on your spiritual well-being. Uh, a healthy diet is not reading a verse of the Bible a day with three paragraphs of devotional thought. Okay? That's a starvation diet. That is not 
going to give you the spiritual strength and health that you need. I think a minimum is reading three or four chapters a day. All the days of his life would also include the idea for as long as he lives. Okay, as long as he lives. So not only are we trying to read the Bible every day, but we read the Bible every day for as long as we live. So I've been preaching a similar message for 35 years. And as the Lord gives me health and strength, I expect to continue to preach this message every New Year's until I no longer am preaching. We don't stop. We don't stop reading the Bible. We don't stop benefiting from the Bible. You don't stop eating because you've eaten for 30 years and you've feasted and you say, okay, now I've got enough. <laughs> I'm, I'm well eaten. No, you, you, continue to eat. you, you need to continue to be reading the scriptures. It will be of value to you. It will be of help to you. It will be a benefit to you. And I'll talk about those benefits in just a moment. But just imagine if the kings would have followed through on reading the scriptures daily. Now, unfortunately, the kings, the vast majority of them, did not follow any of the three precepts that we set out. Every one of them multiplied wives. Every one of them tried to amass strength. Not all of them, but a lot of them relied upon Egypt for their, their strength. Okay? We have some standouts, like Josiah, that I'll talk about in just a moment, but most of them, including David, multiplied wives to themselves. Okay? Uh, that's not because the Bible doesn't work. It's because they didn't follow the admonition. They didn't do what they were told to do. And it had its consequences. In 2 Kings, we read this account. It happens in the days of Josiah. The temple had fallen into disrepair because the children of Israel had quit worshiping in the temple. Uh, and uh, they had sold off parts of it. And so the, the temple was in disarray. And so now they are remodeling, reconstructing, building up the temple once again. And as they're doing the work, it tells us in 2 Kings 22, And Shaphan the secretary came to the king and reported to the king, Your servants have emptied out the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hand of the workmen who have the oversight of the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. This book was found by the, by the altar. It had gone missing. In Deuteronomy 31, 26, it said this, Take this book of the law and put it by the side of the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God, that it may be there for a witness against you. So they were to put a copy of the scriptures by the ark of the covenant. The temple had fallen in disarray. Now they're remodeling, and they're working on the covenant, Ark of the Covenant area, and lo and behold, they find this book there. And they open it up, 
and it's a copy of the scriptures. And uh, they said, you know, I think the king ought to be aware of this. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hokai the priest has given me a book, and Shaphan read it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And the king commanded Hilkiah the priest and Ahiakim the son of Shaphan and Akbor the son of Micaiah and Shaphan the secretary and Isaiah the king's servant saying, Go inquire for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to all that is written concerning in it. When the king learned what this book said, they realized how far astray they had gone, and it brought about repentance. But that's how bad it had gotten. The king didn't even know the book existed. The king of Israel didn't even know that the copy of the scriptures existed. How different Israel's experience would have been if their kings would have been daily reading the scriptures. And how daily, how different will our Christian experience be if we are daily reading the scriptures? How often would Solomon and David, for example, been confronted with, you shall not multiply wives to yourself. You shall not acquire gold and silver for yourself. I wonder what would have happened if Solomon would have read those portions of Scripture? What if he would have repented? Wonder if he would have acknowledged his wrongdoing. I wonder why they didn't read the scriptures. Have you ever asked yourself, why don't I read the scriptures more? I think universally. The answer would be, and I looked it up on the internet, the number one answer, doesn't surprise me, that people give for not reading the Bible is they're too busy. Well, I don't buy that. There's just so many ways in which we can listen to the scriptures, we can do all kinds of things that, uh, you know, we can get three chapters done, and no matter how busy we are, there are, none of us use every 15 minutes of every day to their fullest extent. We could read the Bible. It's not about being too busy. It's about priorities, about a lot of things. But it just dawned on me, you know, maybe one of the reasons is because we really don't want to know what it says. You know, people in authority are tempted to surround themselves with yes people. People that are going to be supportive and tell them what they want to hear and not confront them about things they shouldn't do. One of the problems with the, the kings were that they rejected the prophets. They didn't really want to hear from the prophets. Okay? Uh, Nathan kind of went in shaking before David when he had to confront David about his sin with Bathsheba, and he said to David, thou art the man. But David accepted that. He acknowledged that. He repented. Okay? David didn't want just yes men. A lot of times people want yes men. You know, I think people want yes verses. I think people go to the Bible for comfort, for encouragement. They have certain passages they like. 
They reflect on, make them feel good, make them feel comfortable, make them feel supported. And there are certain things they really don't want to hear. They don't want to be confronted about their life. They don't want to be confronted about their sin. They don't want to hear about areas of repentance. I think there are portions of Scripture that people would rather not think about because they have their implications. I also think that it's just a matter of immaturity. You know, um, you have to teach children that uh, you can't just survive on eating bread, right? What parent hasn't wrestled with their kids and said, you can't just eat bread. You've got to eat something else, right? Raise your hand if you ever said that to your kid. You can't just fill up on bread, okay? You just can't eat the bread, all right? That's enough bread. You're not going to eat anything else. No, the scripture says man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Every word. We learn you just can't fill up on bread and dessert. Well, there are tough passages of scripture. You can't just read the dessert. If you're going to have a balanced diet, if you're going to be healthy, you need to read the entire word of God. So we need to be reading the scriptures. I hope you're reading them through. I hope you're reading the Bible on a daily basis. But now let's stop for a moment and ask, what are the benefits? Why should I do this? I've been talking about spiritual health and so on, but, but how can we unpack that for a moment? I would submit to you that we read the Bible for more than just informational value. I say just. It's really important that we understand and know the scriptures. But we read them for spiritual health and strength. Notice in verse 19. It says, And it shall be with him, and he shall read in all the days of his life. And then we have these series of sentences that start with the word that. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping the words of the law. Okay. Then verse 19, that his heart may not be lifted up. So you have these that's. Here are the reasons. Here's the benefit of reading the word of God. So let's look at them. There are three that are listed. Perhaps four. First, that he would find his protection to be doing the will of God, that he would trust in God for his well-being. Notice verse 19. That he may learn to fear the Lord as God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes in doing them. Let's go back to the first prohibition. The king shall not go into Egypt and acquire chariots. Instead, he should read the Bible. 
How is reading the Bible going to affect the king from going into the land of Egypt and acquiring chariots? First, it will teach him he shouldn't do that. But more than that, it will provide him with a motivation. For it says that he may learn to fear the Lord, that he may learn to trust in God rather than to trust in the chariots. That the scriptures teach him that God is more powerful than the chariots. God is more powerful than the armies. That first and foremost, if he's looking for, for the deliverance and if he's looking for protection, that he doesn't find it in the military, he doesn't find it in the weapons of warfare, he finds it in God. Now, I think most of the kings knew that. I think most of the kings knew what the scriptures said, or had somebody around to remind them of what it said when they were sending for Egypt for horses and chariots. And remember, Solomon's got tons of chariots and horses. And paves the way for all the kings to follow him. It's one thing to know that the scriptures say, trust in the Lord and not into the chariots. It's quite another. When you're a king and you're looking at the nations round about you and they're getting stronger and stronger and their military strength is getting greater and greater and their chariots are multiplying and you don't have any and you're sitting there and you're asking yourself the question, am I being irresponsible? Am I failing to protect my people? Am I being naive? Am I being foolish? Shouldn't I be gathering some defensive forces? Not that I would use them to strike, but, but just to defend myself? Wouldn't that be wise? Who has been tempted in the last year to go to Egypt and buy a chariot? Would you raise your hand? Have you been tempted to go to Egypt and buy a chariot? Have, you know, what has this got to do with anything? There's the value of reading the scriptures. It's talking about trust. It's talking about dependence upon God. Let's fast forward to 2018. There's been a massive shooting. People in churches have died. Let me ask you a question. Should we seek to arm a protective group that will keep us safe in our morning worship service? Should we equip some individuals with handguns so that if an enemy comes in, if someone wants to do harm, that we are not defenseless? Is it naive to trust in God? Is it foolish to think that God is going to protect us and keep us in this day, in this age? What about 
You know, there are other churches that are doing that. Shouldn't we do that? Does this passage have any relevance? What did Jesus mean when he said to Peter that those who live by the sword shall die by the sword? What did Jesus mean when he taught us to trust and to rest in him? Let me ask you a question. Think of all the persecuted Christians around the world. People who are dying for their faith. People that governments have outlawed their religion. Or rebels have come in. Certain areas of Sudan, etc. And come in and have murdered those individuals. Why in the world hasn't the church raised the money to, to buy a whole bunch of M16s and send them to the persecuted church? How could we have failed to be so indifferent? Why haven't we sent bazookas and, and grenades so that these persecuted Christians have a defense? Because we have realized down through the ages that's not, that's not the Christian behavior that we're called upon. And if we're not going to send guns to the persecuted church, then I say to you, we shouldn't have guns in the back of our church. And it's not naive, because our protection comes from God. Now, does that mean God will always protect us? No. Just as it doesn't mean that God will never allow persecution to come to us. But it does mean that this doesn't happen outside of the will of God. But if we're not reading and meditating on our Bibles, it's amazing how such thoughts don't even enter into our thinking. We, it's so easy for us to adapt the, the mindset of the world, the, the, the things we see on TV, the conversations we have around the cooler, no one is going to reinforce biblical truth to us apart from the scriptures. No one is going to affect our thinking in a biblical way apart from the scriptures. We constantly have to let the scriptures speak to us in our present circumstance. Let's look at the second prohibition. Deuteronomy 17.20. Um, that his heart may not lift it up above his brothers, that he may not turn aside from the commandment. Um, it said earlier that uh, he shall not multiply wives unto himself. He should not be seeking pleasure. Uh, people in power 
oftentimes view themselves as entitled. They deserve to be treated differently than everybody else. So verse 20 says, he should not lift up his, above his brothers. Should not multiply wives to himself. It says of, of Solomon, this one who had 300 wives, 700 concubines, Ecclesiastes 2, 10, it says this, All that my eyes desired, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart was pleased because of all my labor, and that was my reward for all my labor. He viewed it as his reward. He viewed it as his right to satisfy any desire or pleasure that he had. Solomon said, I deserve it. I deserve it. People in power believe that they deserve certain things. They believe that they are better than themselves. That because they are in this position, it's so facto. They're, they're better. They're smarter. They're, they're wiser. They're richer. They're better. And so they deserve a different standard of living, including sexually. So multiplying wives, how does that come down to us for today? Well, you know, if you listen to the news, it seems that we're hearing nothing new, but it's really starting to get its attention of people in power sexually harassing people that are under them, right? We're hearing that all over the place. People in power that are sexually harassing those who are under them. They feel entitled. They feel empowered. They feel that it's okay for them to take advantage of people that are under them. It's the modern day application of such basic truths as you don't multiply wives, you don't covet your neighbor's wife, you don't commit adultery, you conduct yourself appropriately. And being a person of power doesn't entitle you to behaviors that are unacceptable. The Word of God brings into focus the events and circumstances of this life. The benefits of reading the word is given to us in verse 20. That he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left. The idea is consistency. Not wandering off left to the left or to the right, but staying on the straight and narrow. The word of God is corrective. The word of God shows us when we are deviating from the direction that we should go. The word of God provides for us that twinge of conscience that says you are the man, you are doing this very thing that the scripture says you shouldn't do or you're failing to do what the scripture tells you should do. Reading the word of God every day causes you to come up short 
comes, causes you to, before you get too far off the beaten path, before you've wandered too far, you're confronted with what the Word of God has to say. David spent over a year in dealing with the consequences of his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah the Hittite before he came to repentance. Because he ignored the word of God. It's corrective. But more than just corrective, it is helpful. It is helpful. It's helpful in a myriad of ways, but let me give you just two. First, it's helpful in that it teaches us discipline. If we're going to live godly lives, we need self-discipline. There's a measure of discipline that's required in reading the Bible every day. In learning that discipline, it helps us with other disciplines in our life. But it's more than just discipline. It is that, but it's more. For it's empowering, it's enabling. It actually is able to bestow strength and help. Reading the Bible is empowering. It actually changes the heart and mind. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The world is trying to conform us to make it like itself. And the scripture says that the word transforms us by changing our hearts and minds. Not just giving us information, but imparting motivation, and not only imparting motivation, but actually enabling us to follow through. It actually changes the way we think. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My words are not your words. So the word of God is given to us so that our thoughts become his thoughts, his words become our words. It really does change our point of view. It enables, it empowers. We've all seen the Popeye cartoons. The word of God is our spinach. As we read the word of God, our spiritual muscles flex. We're empowered, we're strengthened, we're renewed. We say, yes, this is right. Yes, I will take this stand. Yes, I will trust. Yes, I will overcome these temptations. Yes, I'll quit listening to what everybody else says. Yes, I will quit worrying about what the news says. Yes, I will follow the word of God. It's more than just obtaining information. It's relying upon the strength that God has provided for us. The benefit is so that sin would not be their undoing. Notice the end of verse 20. Uh, I'll start with the beginning of verse 20. That his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left. And then this last concluding overarching thought, so that he may continue long in his kingdom and his children in Israel. Okay? So that... His kingdom will last. So that I don't have to replace him. Well, the kings constantly were being replaced. And eventually they went into exile. Because they didn't do what 
God's word says. Failure to follow the word of God is undoing. It's undoing. Um, it really has been pretty unusual in these last few months to see people of such wealth and power and influence be removed. Like a Matt Lauer, supposed to be the most influential person at NBC, yeah, fired overnight. You think of, I didn't write this down, so I can't think of these names all of a sudden. Who's the round table guy? Charlie Rose, okay, out. You think of congressmen, you think of people, uh, officials. All of a sudden, they are brought low. David, by God's grace, was not removed. He prayed that God would not remove him, and God didn't. But he should have been removed. But it's the grace of God that he wasn't. But he removed many kings. There are pastors that have fallen. There are people that are removed. There are families that are destroyed. Sin is a cancer. Sin is devastating. We have very little to fight sin with. And the greatest remedy against sin that we have been given is the word of God. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The best way to stay on the straight and narrow is to read your Bible regularly, daily. Not just for instruction, though we need the instruction, but so that we would have the desire and the power to follow through on what it teaches us. We're not talking about a legalistic uh, command. We're not even talking about a direct relationship. Read God's word and you're blessed. Don't read God's word and you're not blessed. We're saying that it is much deeper than that. That the word of God is the instrument that he uses to bring blessing. And I rob myself of what God will do in me and through me when I starve myself of the word of God. I can't be healthy spiritually if I'm starving myself on the Word of God. I can't be healthy spiritually if I am not having a balanced diet. If I just read the verses I like, the promises, the Psalms, the blessings, if I'm going to be spiritually healthy, I have to read the whole book. I have to follow the whole counsel of God's law. All scriptures, beneficial, profitable, the word of God says. And so I encourage you once again to read your Bible through in a year. With that, let me just say just a couple concluding thoughts. Number one, you can do it. We have a number of children 
in the uh, congregation that have read their Bible through in an adult Bible. Uh, children, you'd be commended. Okay? Uh, we have a number of children that have read their Bible through in a year. Okay? Let me say to you as a child, don't get discouraged if you can't read that much. If reading is really hard for you, read as much as you can. And continue to read. And pick up where you ended off until you get through the whole Bible. And once you do, start over. Okay? I say to adults, don't stop. Don't stop. Keep reading. Keep reading. And the more you read, the easier it becomes. And if you've been reading your Bible through uh, every year, maybe this year the goal is two times. Or the goal is three times. Or the goal is four times. Okay? Increase your Bible reading this year. Whatever it is. Just increase it a little bit. You'll find it to be beneficial. You'll find it to be helpful. Uh, so don't just limit yourself to one time a year if, if you've been doing that for a number of years, but increasing it. If you're not a reader, listen to it. It's downloadable. There's audibles. You know all this stuff. It's, it's really about coming to grips with I need to. I need to. For my well-being. If I'm going to accomplish what God would have for me. So many of the kings were removed because they weren't accomplishing what God wanted them to accomplish. May we accomplish in our families, in our homes, in our lives for what God saved us for. And if we're going to do that, we've got to give ourselves to the scriptures. And I think a minimum are three or four chapters a day to try to counteract everything that we hear all the time. I picked on a couple of things. I picked about, about guns in the church service. It's relevant. It's practical. It speaks to today. And I'm saying to you, there are just issue after issue after issue. When you read the scripture, that you sit there and say, this is what the Bible says. This is what society says. What do I do? How do I affect? How do I stand? How do I commit to these things? And the word of God provides those answers. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, help us. Uh, I pray, Lord, that first of all, you would teach us the, the need that we have of your, your word. Thank you, our Father, for the way in which you have blessed us as a nation. Uh, to think of the abundance of the word that we have. Oh, Lord, teach us the hypocrisy. Teach us the inconsistency of supporting missionaries to go to areas that don't have the scripture, to labor, to translate, to bring it into another language and to spend all that time and all that effort and all that money in order for missionaries to take the word of God to places where it's not available and then fail to avail ourselves of the Bibles that we have in such abundance. Lord, may we not give lip service to the aspect that the Bible is the word of God, but may that richly affect us. 
May, may we, when we approach the scripture, say, this is God speaking. This is your word. This is what you have told us. This is as if you were whispering in our ears. Oh, Lord, help us to see not only the arrogance, but the foolishness of saying, God, I don't want to hear from you today. I'm not interested. I'm too busy, God, to hear from you today. I wish I had time. Maybe tomorrow, God, I can fit it in my busy schedule that I can hear from you. Lord, may we understand the arrogance of saying we don't need the scripture because we're strong enough. We're wise enough. We're faithful enough. We'll do just fine without reading the scripture. We won't sin. We won't fall into these temptations. We won't enter into these errors. Not us. Oh, Lord, teach us that we're not greater than David. Teach us that we are not greater than Solomon. Teach us, oh, Lord, that we stand in need of you. Give us a hunger and thirst for your word. Give us diligence. Give us consistency. Help us to walk daily with you. And walk daily as we read your scriptures. Speak to us, we pray. We, we would ask that this not just be a wooden formality that we check off each day that we have spent 10 or 12 or 15 minutes in reading our Bibles. But Lord, may it be life-changing. May we pray, open our, our eyes to behold wondrous things from thy truth. Speak to us, empower us, enable us, change our hearts and minds. Give us joy and delight in serving you. Give us uh, an ability to conquer the fear of others. Oh, Lord, may we not be intimidated. May we not be silenced. May we be willing to speak and, and to share our faith with other people. Lord, work in us through your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.